everyone. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Welcome back to Matan's One-on-One Podcast. If you would like to sponsor a podcast episode in honor or in memory of a loved one, please contact the Matan office via telephone or email us at podcast at matan.org.il. Each week we spend 30 minutes speaking about a seminal figure or idea on that week's Parsha. Parshat Mitzorah speaks about the process of purification from tzarat, a skin disease, tzarat of the home, and a discussion of general bodily impurities. Today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Ilana Steinhain to speak about the Rambam's understanding of tzarat. Ilana is the Director of Faculty and a Senior Fellow at the Shalom Harman Institute of North America, and she co-hosts For Heaven's Sake, a bi-weekly podcast with Danielle Hartman and Yossi Klein-Halevi. She also has an online series called Talmud from the Balcony, trying to extrapolate big philosophical ideas from the Talmud. Alana, it's a pleasure to be sitting here with you. What a joy. And isn't it nice that technology makes this possible? Totally. Many, 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 many years ago, I was a young student in Stern, and Alana was this just booming, luminous figure in the Beit Midrash. So it's uh, it's great to sort of come full circle so many years later and be speaking to you here. I really, it's it's my honor. And what better challenge than to talk about Sarat? <laughs> exactly. Which really is quite unique on the skyline of Halacha, of Tum'ah and Tahara. So let's uh, let's jump right in. What do we? How how do we want to tackle this uh, this topic of tzarat, which of course takes up quite a number of, of verses in Sefer Vayikra. Uh, it's it's pretty looming as well. Uh, I think that in the years also where we have a second Adar, we have the opportunity to talk about tzarat for two weeks in a row, and not and not only and one. It's like slow it down. <laughs> exactly. Don't rush through. Tzarat we can, we can't tzarat. we can't rush through. We can't get away from it. We can't just focus on the birthing woman. We have to really get into the details. Of Tzarat. So that's why we're sitting down today to really to really go go deep into the topic itself and to try and unravel some of the ideas that that are are hidden or or somehow really imprinted in this in this particular situation. Oh sure. So I'm intrigued by the way that the Rambam reads Tzarat as a phenomenon because he goes beyond what we usually think of as you spoke Lashon Hara, you spoke bad about someone, you get Sarat, you go out of the camp because you did something antisocial, so now you're going to be alone. That's often the way that we hear about it. And of course, echoes of Miriam speaking Lashon Hara about Moshe. But the Rambam actually builds a much more complex edifice around this. And I would say he starts with the premise that Sarat is not natural. It's, it's miraculous, okay? And it's interesting also from the point of view of somebody who was a doctor, who was a medical professional himself, to say this is, if this is not a natural thing. And I say this as somebody who works at the Hartman Institute, which in Jerusalem is across from Beit Hansen, which Hansen was a leper colony uh, back in the day, I found out while I was uh, there one, one summer. But he does, he does something more. Now that it's miraculous, he can really, he can make it philosophical. So the first thing he does as, I think, a contribution is he says, know that there is actually a process of tzarat from your external to your body. So despite the fact that the Torah lists tzarat of the home, 
last. For the Rambam, a person, here's how the process would go. If you tell Lashon Hara, your house is going to get Sarat. And if you decide to do Tshuva, it'll stop. If you don't, it'll move to your furniture. If you decide to do Tshuva, it'll stop. If you don't, it'll move to your clothing. If you decide to do Tshuva, if not, it'll go to your person. Right. So the first thing is, he says, there's like a warning system about it. He wants to connect the different types of Tzarat as it's like concentric circles. The warning is getting closer and closer and closer. I really also want to point out for our listeners how unusual this interpretation is, meaning it's not your natural read when you're reading the Psukim. You do wonder, and Chazal speak about this in many places, you do wonder what the connection is between all the different kinds of Tzarat. And I believe the root of the, Ram, of the Rambam's approach here is in Chazal, that they offer a number of models. But when you first read it in the Rambam, there's something, there's something very striking about it. Um, and you wonder what is the what is the process? What is the dialogue between the body and the home? Um, but also, what's interesting, Ilana, is that in a previous episode when I was speaking with uh, Yael Leibowitz, so we actually said something that really went went against this interpretation, both by the Rambam and by Chazal, uh, because we spoke about about Sarat as being part of this group of impurities that are that are just. Ritual impurities, they happen. They're part of life, right? You go through life, women become nita. You go through life, you know, bodies have all different kinds of emissions. And because at your first read, a lot of the laws surrounding tzarat, they, the psukim themselves and our parshan, they do not connect between a spiritual punishment of some sort or some sort of dialogue with God and tzarat. Meaning it's not, it doesn't show up here. It shows up, as you mentioned, in that, uh, by Miriam when she speaks uh, ill of her brother and she's very clearly punished uh, with Sarat. It's hard to read that story, not look at it as a punishment. Uh, and Chazal really broaden that and say that all of Sarat comes as a result of some sort of uh, some sort of ill speech. But what I want to point out is in our parashat, that connection isn't actually created yet. Look, I could say something even more general than that, which is the Shoresh, the word Tameh or Tum'ah in Torah and in Tanakh, sometimes it's used to denote ritual impurity, and sometimes it's used to denote sin. Mm-hmm. Right. So there, I think there's a slippery question to begin with that we could ask about what is the relationship between the idea of ritual purity and the idea of sin, right? Which I, I'd imagine that you and Yael got into, but I'm just noting Sarat may actually be a really great example of the Venn diagram and the overlap where you're sort of like, but the Psukim don't say that it's about anything that you did wrong. And then you have this example of Miriam, right? Or looking at Moshe and his various muftim that he was able to, that he took his hand out and it was mitzorat and then he put it back in and it was no longer. Right. It's also this miraculous sign. And it might also be upon it. I agree with you. To look at it as just purely dichotomous is a very academic uh, exercise. Well, it might be pointing us exactly to the impossibility of taking these apart. But that's what brings me actually to the next piece in the Rambam, because the Rambam, by looking at Miriam's sin, right, he points out that even in Devarim, right, Devarim talks about, you know, you should be careful, right? You should keep an eye out for negatarat, right? Hishamer benegatarat. And zachor Remember what God did to Miriam. And so the Rambam says, I actually think that what Miriam did in talking about Moshe may be indicative of what Sarat is about. Not just Lashon Hara. 
but actually something worse. Lashon hara as a gateway to something worse. And so just like he built his, you know, steps of you go from the house to the furniture, to the clothing, to the person, he's going to build steps here too. He thinks that Lashon Hara is a gateway because if you're telling Lashon Hara, you're sitting around with people who talk like that, who are scoffers, who look at what's happening in the world and they say, I'm going to poke a hole in it. And the next thing, after you talk about what he would say is Gnut Hatzadikim, saying bad about people who are good, you're going to end up talking about the Daber B'Nevi'im. You're going to talk about the Nevi'im and say, you know what? I'm not so sure. Now, this is not exactly what Miriam did, but I'm not so sure that everything they're saying is true. And then to him, the final step is, based on this, you're going to end up bad-mouthing God and denying God's essence. Okay, now we'll talk about what that means denying the essence. But I think that is a fascinating move. And I think it's because he has Miriam there, who was talking not just Lashon Hara about anybody, but was talking about a Navi. Now look at it as, you're not going out of the camp because you said something antisocial. You're going out of camp because we're trying to get you away from whoever you were hanging out with, who is pushing you in the direction of being a scoffer, because this could have incredibly negative effects on your religious life at some point, right? And I think that is um, actually an amazing move. I think it's an amazing move for a few reasons. I want to start with the fact that kofrin ba'ikar means something in the Rambam. What it means in the Rambam is someone who who denies divine providence. And all you have to look, just look in the third book of the Marnavuchim, right? I think he starts around chapter section 16 and he goes through for several chapters talking about this. What he really thinks is the heart of what Sarat is trying to get us away from is denying that God is watching over the world. And guess what? What better way to undercut a person's denial of God watching over the world than when they speak Lashon Hara, immediately they experience Sarat. God was clearly watching. And then if they stop speaking Lashon Hara, the Tzarat goes away. If they start speaking, it comes back. There's like an, there's an immediate gratification. There's an immediate providence that's in it, which the Rambam really teases out in saying, Excuse me. Insane. You know, it's also if you go back to the gradation of how he presented it before, of the house to the objects to the body, uh, you also see an element here of well, somebody doubts God's providence, so let's let's get him punished. You know, his realm will be punished, his outer trappings, and then slowly, you know, if he doesn't he doesn't get convinced that there there is significance to how he behaves or the way he you know the attitude he has towards the world and towards God, so slowly slowly it creeps up in him. Meaning there's there's a providence, but there's something also very something gentle, right? There's something that is almost it, it gives him chance until you get to a point where you say, oh my God, but it's literally attacking my body and I have no choice, right? But but it's sort of God lets his his providence or his interaction with the world sort of 
creep up slowly on this individual uh, until he then gets to a point where there's just no there's no other option other than to believe apparently that that God is actually directly involved in the world. That idea of the gradations isn't it parallel to what the Rambam is saying? Your surroundings do to you, right? The Rambam is saying if you are surrounded by people, right, who are talking in a certain way, you're not going to become a, a, a denier of God's providence immediately. That's not the way it's going to happen. It's They're going to make you kind of cynical about everything. You're going to get cynical about the good people around you. You're going to get cynical about the Navi. You're going to get cynical about God. I think there is a paralleling of, you know, the Rambam's trying to make this into something that's about human nature and the way that human beings learn and the way things seep in, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's yeah. that's part of it. What's kind of remarkable is, you know, when you look in the way, this is all, like, you can find the Rambam writing lines and lines, right, at the end of any section of halacha in the Mishnah Torah, right? You'll always find the Rambam say something philosophical about what it is that he just taught you laws about. So this approach to Tzarat, he does this at the end of Hilchotumat uh, Tzarat, right? The laws of the impurity of this skin disease. So it's Perak Tetzayin, and it's long. But what's fascinating is when he comes to describe from all this, a person could get to a slippery slope of being kofer ba'ikar. Listen to the pasuk that he quotes. Okay, he quotes a pasuk from Malachim Bet. Okay, chapter seventeen, verse nine, Yudzayin Tet. Vayichapu bnei Yisrael dvarim asher lochein al Hashem Elokeihem. The Jewish people imputed to God things that God didn't do, right? Told Lashon Hara about God. It's sort of like, I'm not sure that most people, when they're reading the Rambam, they're saying to themselves like, oh, is this such a familiar Pusik? I'm not sure if this is such a familiar Pusik. Then you look in Mor okay? Book three, section Yutet, or Parak Yutet. And what is the Pasuk that he's using to talk about divine providence? And people who don't believe in it, he says, The Jewish people imputed things that are not true about God. And he says, And the Midrash tells us, What did they say? They said, God is just this pillar who doesn't see and doesn't hear and doesn't know what's going on. It's literally, if you hyperlink, Right? Yeah. You hyperlink. Yeah, there's a web connection he here. Says mm-hmm. in Because he doesn't say in Mishnah Torah what it means really to be kofir ba'ikar. Right? He just says kofrin ba'ikar. But then by quoting that Pasuk, he's telling you, go look, go look, right? In my other book, and in my other book, what I have is, what this means is you don't believe in providence. And so if a person is really saying, I don't believe in providence... Here comes Sarah to say, well, believe it because it's here. And I think what's so troubling, I think, about Sarat for us nowadays is like we don't always feel that. We don't always experience that. In fact, it's very infrequent that we experience that kind of sense of, oh, well, God is here and God is watching and I know and I this and I that. And there's something that Sarat is actually trying to remind us of that, you know, and 
I what I hope is that even if we don't see that all the time, that first of all, when we do get glimpses of it, we are willing to see those glimpses for what they are, right? And not say, oh, well, maybe I'm crazy. I don't know, right? But actually to say, like, as a believing person, there's actually something that I see that's providential here and appreciating. And at the same time, that it, it should actually give us some sense of chizok during a time like this, like war breaking out, two years of pandemic, to say, like, there's somebody who's actually watching, right? That God is really watching. And so this year, to me, it's more of like a chizok builder than anything else. You know, it's interesting because um, in a in a much earlier episode when I was speaking with Tanya White about general issues of, uh, of suffering, we spent a whole episode speaking about the Rambam's approach to illness. And uh, there he was not speaking about Sarat, and that's the biggest difference between this conversation and anything to talk about about the Rambam's approach to illness, because he's a very naturalistic perspective on illness. Um, and he says you have to be extremely careful about not attributing a lot of illness to God. Um, people get very angry at God, or they assume that God sent the illness, but you have to sort of eliminate first all these natural factors in the world of that we're humans and our bodies decay, uh, and that, you know, in, in comparison to the broader species, very few people are actually born, you know, born with different um, deformities and, and he sort of like eliminates so many categories of things so that you only attribute to God a very, very small portion of the il- of illness or, or physical disease that can afflict the body. Um, however, and I understand why, he looks at Sarat in a completely different light than how he expressed it there. Now, it's also, there might be a difference here also between the Moren of Uchim, the guide to the perplexed, and here in his Mishnah Torah. And there, you know, there's so much to be said about the differences between those works. And in the Moren of Uchim, he's always going to present a bit more of a nuanced approach than he will in his general halachic work. But I think that the biggest difference is simply because this is about Sarat. And the Torah itself presents Sarat, as you said, it's this like, you know, Venn diagram, sort of mixed space between something that is both physical but it's spiritual and and it's occupying different realms and so I think that within the world of the Rambam it's an interesting case study to compare it to his general approach to illness and don't be so quick to be angry at God um, for everything that goes wrong in the world. Uh, we're here. He's saying, be super careful to attribute it to God, right? Be super careful to make sure that you don't miss the message. Right. And I think that's why he starts with like the, some of the first words of that halacha is the Rambam saying, uh, make sure you know that this is not this is not a natural illness. Yeah. Because if it was a natural illness, he wouldn't attribute it to punishment in that same way. Totally. It's because it's, as he calls it, miraculous that he can. Alana, it really connects for me to you know general beliefs that uh, I hold, along with many others, about about the body in general. Meaning, in the Torah, it's an explicitly spiritual connection. Meaning, it's because of sin or because you're perhaps denial of God's providence in the world. Um, but I think that Sarat, even without going as far as the spiritual punishment, is also this phenomenal reminder that. The, the things that afflict our body are meant to teach us something. Meaning sometimes they're meant to teach us about our relationship with our body. Sometimes they're meant to teach us about ways that we're living that, that aren't healthy for us. Again, whether they're specific spiritual right. problems or, or, or 
or otherwise. Um, spirit is such a broad phrase. It's not just about only, you know, sins that are written in Mishnah Torah. There's all different ways that we like sin against our body, even if it's not written in the Mishnah Torah. Um, and so I think that, that for me also, when I read about Tarat, it sort of reminds me very much. And, and as you said, for me, it strengthens a bit of that worldview of, of remembering that, that, that illness is often here to show us something, to teach us something about the way we live our life, about the way we treat our body, and in this particular case, perhaps, but also the way that we, we think of God. Well, it's also, it's making me think about the way that the Rambam talks in Shimon Prakim, right? In his essay that's connected to Perkevot, where he really describes the process of becoming spiritually ill, and then spiritually healed by expert doctors, so to speak, as comparable to the process of becoming physically ill and being healed by expert doctors, most literally. And I think there is a parallel to be drawn here of the kind of gradational slope that a person goes down, right? Again, it's strange because it's not presented that way in the Chumash itself. And as you said, of course, there are roots to this in Chazal, but it is a surprising way to go. It, it actually almost feels like the Rambam is using a metaphor from medicine in talking about how the illness of Tzarat moves from your house to your clothes to your body, right? It almost sounds like it comes from medicine. Totally. And it's being pulled that way, the way he does in Shimona Prakim. It's also fascinating to think about how much of that obviously is drawn from his life experience as, you know, as as a physician, right? Meaning it's it obviously these, people say, oh, he was also a doctor, he was also a rabbi. I hope that those were two fields, obviously, that enriched each other. And what we're seeing here also is he's saying that he's drawing from that world of his, you know, that's what he was doing, doing every day. Right. Well, there's another layer that I want to add here mm-hmm. because when the Rambam talks in Mornavuchim about people, you know, not believing in divine providence, the focus really is this question of why are bad people flourishing and good people are suffering. And I think, I think that's where you might actually really have to see a tension between the doctor experience and the rabbi or spiritual leader experience because the doctor's responsibility is to heal you whether you're good or you're bad and the spiritual leaders is doing something else right like they're they're actually it's a different kind of measure and as a doctor when you can't heal someone especially if you know they're good but you can't heal them despite every all the science that you're using that leads you to sort of like a, well, what do I do with this? Is this still in the realm of medicine? Is this in the realm of something else? And that's kind of what you were saying about the Rambam earlier about illness, that the Rambam does not go the direction. And if I can't heal you, it means there's something religiously wrong with you. He doesn't go in that direction, even if it's tempting. But for our purposes of Tzara'at, what I think is also so rich about the fact that good Tzadik Viralo, good people having bad things happen to them, and Russia Vitovlo, bad people having good things happen to them, is that this actually all comes at the beginning, even at the Lashon Hara stage, it comes from trying to discern who's good and who's bad, right? You told Lashon Hara about somebody because people think they're good, but I'm going to tell you that they're bad, right? And now the way you end up is 
people might have thought you were good, and here you are sitting with your tzarat, and everyone says, mm, that person is that. So this whole discernment of good and bad actually does connect from the very mundane, typical Lashon Hara to the very intense, theologically charged question of divine providence. You know, when we, when we speak about this, I'm sort of breathing in heavily because, because people struggle with it on a, on a daily basis, meaning these are, these are struggles that don't just remain a theoretical or academic for people. Um, and I think that on, a, on an ideological level, these are ideas that are incredibly important for us to, to think about. But I think that for many people, it hits them in a very practical place, okay? Meaning these, these ideas of I'm going through life and I think I'm doing my best, but then I'm met with a lot of really, really hard stuff or, or illness or whatever the example is. Um, I feel like the, the, the Rambam's take on, on this disease is one that is, it's incredibly powerful because it cuts to the core of things and it makes all of it sort of a measure for measure system uh it's it's also not so simple to digest i think as i'm you know listening to our conversation unravel let's just say i think it would be dangerous for the rambam to extrapolate from tzarat to other experiences of disease Mm -hmm. i think it would be theologically dangerous because then you're making an argument that disease is punishment and the rambam is trying so hard not to say that this is miraculous it's in its own and in fact, we don't have it today. Like, there's something you're making me realize that on the one hand, it's trying to give us chizuk to basically say, no, God is really watching. And if somebody does something bad, God will actually respond. Da, da, da. But on the other hand, the Rambam does not want us looking at this. And, and I do not want us looking at this as, oh, well, this explains disease in general. Quite the opposite, right? We live in a world, I think, where depending on how you where you see divine providence and the causes that you give to it, you could be doing something very theologically harmful to people or it could be doing something very theologically beneficial to people. Like the difference between trying to ask why somebody got a certain disease on the one hand and saying, you know what, God sees how you're dealing with your hardship and you have so much to be proud of in the way that you're dealing with this. Those are both providential models. Mm -hmm but very, very different. And the latter is the only one I'd feel comfortable with. It's, it's the response model as opposed to looking at the causality. Uh, I think that yes. that's something that we also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link the episode in general uh, at, at the bottom of the show notes, or our episode regarding disease and the Raman's perspective on it. But I think that that's a, a really, really essential point that's always really necessary to to emphasize. So we're speaking here, and I think also, Ilana, that there may be a blessing in the fact that we don't have Tzarat anymore, so that we can talk about this. Uh, no, not only so that we won't be... In theory. Right, we could talk about it no, in theory. I, I, I really I, I, I really think that that's, there's a blessing to that. But by the way, I, what I do really love, and maybe uh, we're coming to the, the end of our conversation, but I love the concept of Tzarat touching the house. Um, because I love the idea that that the spaces we occupy have soul in them. I don't mean it in the like you know Japanese tidying. I have to thank all of my objects for serving me in, in that sort of realm. But but I I'll, I'll say it in a story that I once heard. I think it was the name of Reb, of Rev Dovzinger, where he said that when he goes to sleep at night, or when he would go to sleep at night, and his children were younger. He said he would he would daven to the walls of his house 
um, because he wanted to surround them. Whatever trouble they were going through or difficulties or just general, you know, teenage rebellions, that he wanted the home to be supportive of them and that even if they wouldn't listen or if it was hard to say it to them, to their face, that he wanted them to be surrounded by it. And it's something that my husband and I think about a lot. Um, we think about, you know, the conversations we have about our kids when they're not awake, <laughs> you know, which can vary to all different degrees. But of course, but, I, of course. but whenever we have a conversation that's difficult, I'm, a, I'm like tearing up right now. <laughs> whenever we have a conversation yeah. that's difficult, I always like end it with a tefillah. Yeah. And I always say to like, it's for the walls, it's for the walls. Well, you know, it's so, yeah. So. No, no, I'm with you. And it's just, Tzarat Bait is just this reminder that our spaces are influenced by us and our spaces that we're in influence us, whether that's our physical house or it's the people we surround ourselves with. But, but all of that has, has impact and we could choose very often whether it's positive or negative. You know, what you really, what you're really pushing me to is that Sarat is pushing against seeing the individual as the receptacle for good or bad behavior, and instead is pushing to see a person's whole environment as a shaper of their behavior, whether it's, as the Rambam is saying, who are you spending time with who's impacting the way you think? That's about your whole social circle, or whether it's about the confines of your actual house, that's another piece here. That it's it's not just what did you do, it's what are you a part of? And are you impacting the places that you're a part of in a good way? And are they impacting you in a good way? That I think you really just teased out for us in a beautiful way. Yeah, it's a message that I seek about a lot with younger students. And I don't think I don't think its relevance ever really ends. I mean Whenever we try and figure out, you know, a community to be a part of or, you know, a kihila, whatever part of the world we're doing that in, it's basically the same question all the time. You know, what college to put ourselves in or who we want to spend time with. They all really surround the same question. And, and it's a question that comes up here in the Rambam surrounding Sarat, but it's a question that constantly follows us because, because even, because we're always really aware in some deep place of the fact that we impact our environment and our environment impacts us. And I think that, that that's a, a beautiful way to to end the episode. That Sarat is there to remind us of this sort of like village that we're always part of, um, and of course in the Rambam's mind to remember that that uh, that God is is always watching. And while maybe this is not a method of communication that still exists in the world, of course there are there are still many others. Well, it's nice to be part of this village. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Please do One-on-One and Women's Torah Learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Matan's website. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review in the comments. Please send us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.